Amen. Those are good songs. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 1. Thanks for coming back tonight to hear this morning's message. (laughs) So what happened this morning, those are all things I had been thinking about to fit into the message. And so I decided just to say them all before I got to the message. So uh, that's what we're that's what we're going to do. All right, Zechariah chapter one. Let's read through verse six. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the amazing things in this book. Father, thank you for your love for us, your grace, your mercy. Thank you for the truth that you have revealed to us. And Lord, we worship you today through the studying of your word. Father, thank you for these faithful people who are here to hear the preaching of the word. And Father, I'm thankful for their love for it. Lord, help us now. Give us your, your wisdom as we study this. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that is so fun about the Bible is the information that's in there that you never even think about. And so, just by way of introduction tonight, I want you to see the message of Zechariah. And if you look, it says in verse 1, In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet. So, there's a message just in their names. So, you might want to write this down. Zechariah, that name means Jehovah remembers. Jehovah remembers. And it's so appropriate that God called Zechariah, and that name is a, is a popular name in the Bible, but here this specific man, Zechariah, the name meaning Jehovah remembers, he remembered his people in their captivity. So the message is Zechariah, that name means Jehovah remembers. Berechiah, that name means Jehovah blesses. Jehovah blesses. So not only does Jehovah remember, but he also blesses. And the name Edo, that means in his time. So if you were a Jewish person, you were reading this, you know what those names mean. What you're reading is Jehovah remembers, Jehovah blesses in his time. Some people might have been getting impatient there in Babylon. You know, the the psalm, by the rivers of Babylon. They would just weep. They didn't want to get married there. They didn't want to live there. They wanted to be. They wanted to get back to their homeland. And so the message in the names: Jehovah remembers, Jehovah blesses, in His time. That, that's a that's a beautiful thing. But I want you to see what the what the message of this book is. And the first thing that I want you to see is that it is a message of love. It's a message of love. First of all. It's God's love for His children. So put your marker here in Zechariah, and let's run some passages down to see about His love for Israel. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy 32, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Look at verse 10. If you look at verse 9 for the context, it says... For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. Look at verse 10. He found him in a desert land and in the waste, howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. 
I'm just telling you, you don't want to mess with Israel. They are the apple of his eye. God loves them. Look at Zechariah chapter 2. Look at verse 8. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations, which spoiled you. For he that toucheth you, toucheth the apple of his eye. Man. You know, sometimes Laura and I will see some just massive guy walking down the street with his daughter. You know? And the thought that we say it to each other, I'd like to see somebody try to try to get to her. You know? It, it's just fun watching a dad absolutely wail on somebody that wants to do something to their kids. You know, it's just awesome. I love that. There's nothing better than vengeance. <laughs> it, y'all know what I'm talking about on that? It's just there's this protectiveness that, that comes over you with your children. That's what God thinks of, of Israel. They're the apple of his eye. Look at the book of Lamentations. So let's just back a couple of books right after Jeremiah. Lamentations, chapter 2. Look at verse 18. All right. So the Bible says in verse 18, Their heart cried unto the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears run down like a river day and night. Give thyself no rest. Let not the apple of thine eye cease. The apple of thine eye. Look at Psalm 17. Psalm 17. Look at verse 8. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. You know, the Bible says that Israel is the apple of the Lord's eye. He loves them. So when you see that he has taken them into judgment, that's because he loves them. And so the message of Zechariah is very much a message of love. So it's a message of love and it's also a message of anger. It's a message of anger. Look at verse 2. Let's go back to Zechariah chapter 1. The Lord, verse 2, Zechariah chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Look at verse 15. I am very... And I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. For I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. I was a little displeased. Now I'm sore displeased. Now that word sore, you know, we've had a sore. You know what that is. That's, that's different than this. This is describing a type of anger. It means greatly, violently deeply. How many of you think it's a bad thing when God's violently displeased with you? That's that's a bad thing. That's where he was with the nation of Israel. Let's run down this idea of of, of sore, what that means in the Bible. Look at the book of Daniel, chapter 6. Verse 14. 
So what's happening here, it's a conspiracy against Daniel. And what they do is they trick the king into throwing Daniel into the, having to throw Daniel into the lion's den. And when it looks in, look at verse 11, then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king that Daniel which is of the, of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased, look at what it says, with himself, and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. But he couldn't do it. The law of the Medes and the Persians, once you put it in place, it's got to be. But he was sore displeased. Isn't it interesting? With himself. He loved Daniel. And these men were trying to trick him. Look at Matthew chapter 21. Look at verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And what had just happened before that was look at verse 11. And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all of them that sold and brought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Um, we, I mentioned that we watched that Ben-Hur movie. And when they came to arrest Jesus, they grabbed him and they manhandled him and, you know... that. I'm just telling you, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. Can you imagine? So what do we have here? 70, 80, 90, 100 people, whatever it is. Can you imagine? There's probably more than that. But anyway, one person coming in running everybody out of here. It's probably not going to happen, is it? Jesus ran out thousands of people from the temple. By himself. And then, look at what, I love it. Look at verse 14. And the blind and the lame came unto him in the temple and he healed them. He ran everybody out. Then he sat down in the temple, started healing people. Verse 15. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. They were very angry that Jesus was doing this. Now, when the Bible points them to... Remember, we've looked at it before. This is the second time Jesus cleansed the temple. He did it at the beginning of His ministry, and He did it at the end of His ministry. The first time that they were reminded of the Scripture where the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. And they could see that Jesus Christ was fulfilling that messianic prophecy. And then just... Just to demonstrate his power, he's healing the lame and the blind. And again, that's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah. And that sorely displeased them because they didn't want the biblical Messiah. They wanted a Messiah of their own making. They were sore 
displeased. So it's a message, this, this Zechariah, it's a message of anger. All right? Now, now go back to Zechariah, and I want you to see this. It's not only a message of anger, but it's a message of repentance. Look at verse 2. The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Is there any repetition in there? What's the repetition? It is God's volume control. The repetition in the text is what? Lord of hosts. Now that Lord of hosts, we're not going to take the time to track that down right now. Maybe we will in another time. It's used 53 times in the book of Zechariah. Lord of hosts is used 53 times. So Zechariah, like all true prophets and God-sent preachers, does not mince words, make suggestions, nor voice his own opinion. He boldly declares exactly what God has spoken and lets the good seed fall where it may. So this Lord of hosts, what that is, it's an army organized for war. So if we had a parade of the military coming down, that'd be pretty cool to see, right? I know President Trump wants to do that and people are all mad about it. But... so if you saw this, this army, our army, United States military, marching in, in parade formation, you'd say, that's awesome, right? If they're coming in battle gear at you, you say, mother. Mother. <laughs> I can't imagine. I was out in Lancaster, you know, where where West Coast Baptist College is, and I was driving to the school, and Edwards Air Force Base is right there, and they have the stealth bombers and things, and a stealth bomber flew right over me. It's one of the most awesome things you'll ever see. And then it disappeared like that. It was wild, man. I loved it. You know what I thought? I'm glad that's ours. Right? So... This, this Lord of hosts, that is an army prepared for war. So whenever you see God being listed as the Lord of hosts, he's about to go to war. And let's see what that looks like. Go to the book of Jude. Verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches spoken, un- uh, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. All right, that's, that's this army, it's coming. Um, look with me at Second Thessalonians. Chapter 1. Look at verse 6. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you 
And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Okay, this is him being Lord of hosts. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you is believed in that day. I'm just telling you, that is not the Lord that you want coming after you. So when you see this idea of the Lord of hosts in the Old Testament here in the book of Zechariah, it's talking about him coming with an army organized for war. One not need trust in military might or numerical strength. Our God is an army of armies all by himself. Amen. But look at this message of repentance that you have here in verse 3. Therefore, say thou unto them, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. What is that? You turn to me and I'll turn to you. That's repentance. That's just a beautiful picture of repentance. And just so you know, this is the exact opposite of Calvinism or Reformed theology. What that teaches is that you are regenerated... And then you believe. Isn't that just the most backwards thing that you can ever hear? The the idea, what they believe is that God saves you and then you believe in Him. That's just the opposite. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says here, turn unto me and I will turn unto you. It's a message of repentance. Okay, keep your place here. Go to James chapter 4. Let's see if this is consistent in Scripture. James chapter 4. And look at verse 8. Ready? God draws nigh to you, and then you draw nigh to God. Did I read that wrong? Let's read it out loud together. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. That's repentance. You turn to God. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. I'll define it a little bit more, but go with me to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 15. Second Chronicles chapter 15. Look at verse 1. And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa, And said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you, while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. Look at this. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. So you've heard me say before, God greases the skids in the way you are going. If you want to believe in him, he'll help you. If you want to reject him, he'll help you. That's the God we worship. That's who he is. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of direction. So I'm looking this way, trusting my own way. I hear the truth, the gospel, and I repent. I turn from that to look at God. And when I turn from that to look at God, 
God is right there coming to me. Now, remember, none of that can happen unless God draws you. No man can come unto me except the Father draw him. Is that what the Bible says? But listen, what did Jesus say? If I be lifted up, I will draw what? All men unto me. God is drawing everybody. That doesn't mean everybody will repent. You see, God does the drawing, you do the repenting, and God does the saving. You've got to believe. You have to believe. And that's what repentance is. It's, it's a change of mind that results in a change of direction. Look at Isaiah chapter 55. All right, look at verse 6. This is such an important passage. Isaiah 55 and verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Isn't that wonderful? But I want you to notice a couple of things. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous forsake his thoughts. So to get saved, you can't say, you can't, this is such an important thing. Young people get this. It's so important. There are people say, well, I'll believe, but I'm not going to stop. Well, whatever that is, you can't get saved unless you stop it then. This is an interesting concept. I want you to think about this. A drunkard can get saved without giving up his drink. But not if he says, yeah, I'll get saved, but I won't give up my drink. Do you get the difference? You see, the idea is repentance. Repentance is, God, I am confessing my sin to you. How many of you think that confessing the sin, God, I'm confessing my sin. Now I'm going to keep doing it, but I'm confessing it to you. Do you think that that's what the Bible teaches? No, of course not. And if that is the idea that a person has when they come to Christ, you know what they're doing? They're believing in vain. That's the first Corinthians one, unless you have believed in wherein ye stand, the gospel wherein ye stand, unless you have believed in vain. That's believing in vain. It's really important that we get this. Repentance is here, it's identified forsaking his way, the wicked forsaking his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So the word repent, that's what it means. It's a change of mind. You've got to change the way that you're thinking. If you're thinking wickedly, that thinking cannot get you to Christ. You have to say, my wicked thinking is keeping me from Christ. I've got to turn this way. Lord, my thinking is wicked. Please save me. I repent. Now, I've got to say, in that request might be a helplessness that says, I don't think I can change. Is that completely different than a rebellious, I refuse to change? Remember a few weeks ago, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. My thinking is wicked. God, I know my thinking is wicked. Forgive me, help me, save me. That's a completely different thing than, God, you don't like it, whatever. I believe in you. That's not a saving faith, is it? It can't be a saving faith. This is a message of repentance. It's a message of love. It's a message of anger. And it's a message of repentance. That's the heartbeat of the book of Zechariah. We're going to get into the first part of the message next week, Lord willing. But this is the message of Zechariah. It's a message of love. It's a message of anger. 
and it's a message of repentance. God loves us. Our disobedience brings His anger. Repentance brings us back to Him. That's Old Testament. That's New Testament. Salvation required repentance in the Old Testament. About what? What they believed about God. In the New Testament, it's what you believe about Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith. Repentance toward God, faith toward Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says about salvation in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it was just repent. Do what God has told you to do. That's the message. It's a message of love, it's a message of anger, and it's a message of repentance. Now, let me ask you this. What were they supposed to repent of? Go back to Zechariah. Verse 2, chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. What were they supposed to hear about? What were they supposed to hearken? Well, their evil ways. What is the evil way that they're talking about here? They didn't finish the work. Finish the job. I think of uh, Nick Saban, who I think may be the Antichrist. But Nick Saban. No, no, it's not Nick Saban. It's the other Antichrist. It's uh, Patriots coach. What's his name? Bill Belichick. Okay, this, this is a test for Nathaniel. Do your job. Well done, thou good and faithful reprobate, heretic. That's it. Do your job. Have the Patriots been good? I know it's terrible to say it out loud. Come on, be honest. Have they been good? There's none that doeth good. No, not one. There's none righteous. No. <laughs> They've been the best for years. Why? One principle. Do your job. Do you know what God is saying to Israel, to Judah, those that have returned to build the temple? Do your job. Finish the work. We looked this morning at the reasons why they stopped. And they were good reasons, but they weren't good excuses. They, had, they were justified. It was hard. They had opposition. They had counselors against them. They had letters written to the king against them. They had great opposition. But God said, finish the job. Who's stronger, the lawyers or God? God is. Who's stronger, the Lord or the king? The Lord is stronger. And so they should have trusted him, and they didn't. And God's message is, I'm sore displeased with you. Finish your work. So I wonder, you know, the Bible says no man that puts his hand to the plow and turns back is fit for the kingdom. That's interesting, isn't it? That's the idea of the kingdom. Aren't you glad that you're saved by grace? Man, I'm glad that I don't have to do anything else to go to heaven, that that I've believed in Jesus Christ, I've repented of my sin, I've placed my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for my eternal life. I get to go to heaven. 
and yet God has a job for me to do. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You're going to see, I mentioned it already, you're going to, no, I mentioned it in Sunday school. You're going to see this verse a lot during this series. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren... Now, so that's saved people, right? And one of the things that I love, and we talk about this a lot in discipleship, is you have to love God's people to invest in them. Amen? But the other thing you've got to know is that sheep are dirty. And if you're going to do God's work, you're going to get your hands dirty. You're going to be around people that will drive you crazy, all that stuff. That's why you've got to love them. That's that whole concept of charity that we've talked about. It says, therefore, my beloved brethren, so beloved and brethren, these are saved people, brothers and sisters in Christ, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's, this, this is really clear. The work of the Lord. We're supposed to be doing the work of the Lord. Do you all agree with that? How do I know that that's applying to us? Well, look in verse 50. Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Isn't that exciting? How many of you want to be a part of that? Would you raise your hands? You want to be a part of that, right? Then you'd better do the work of the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that you won't be a part of it unless you do the work of the Lord. But what I'm saying is the people that are supposed to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, those are the people that want to have a part in the resurrection. If you want to have a part in the resurrection, and you do, then you ought to want to do the work of the Lord. Is that fair? But what is the work of the Lord? Those of you who have been through discipleship training, you know this. It's really complicated. This definition for the work of the Lord, young people, you might not be smart enough to handle this yet. Let's see if you can capture this concept. The work of the Lord is the work that the Lord was doing when he was here on earth working. That's really deep, isn't it? <laughs> what is the work of the Lord? Let's see if we can say it together. The work of the Lord is the work that the Lord was doing when he was here on earth working. That's the work of the Lord. Let's try that again. The work of the Lord is the work that the Lord was doing when he was here on earth working. That's the work of the Lord. So, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Do your job. Do your job. Does God have a job He wants you to do? Yeah, what is that job? It's the work of the Lord. It's the work of the Lord. We know it's the work of the Lord. Go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. So this is Jesus about to go to the cross. 
Look at it, John 17, look at verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Look at what it says, verse 4. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have, what's that next word? The work which thou gavest me to do. He hadn't been to the cross yet. The work of the Lord was not the cross. When Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, what was finished? His work of redemption. He had paid the price for sin, but the work of the Lord was finished by John chapter 17. So what happened in John 17? How do we know that his work was finished? Well, look. He said, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. What was that work? Look at verse 6. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. That's evangelism. He told them who God is. He had taught them how to how to bring people to God. And this is life eternal. Verse 3. That they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Verse 6. I have manifested thy name unto the men. What, what does it say in Romans? that if thou shalt call upon the name of the Lord, thou shalt be saved. I have manifested thy name unto the men. He led them to Christ. That's evangelism. Then look at what it says in verse 8. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. That's edification. That's discipleship. So what did he do? The work of the Lord, evangelism, edification, giving them the words, and the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. What things? Chapter 1 and verse 13 of Second Timothy. It says, uh, follow after the form of sound words which you have received of me. That, that's what you give. You, you give them the words of God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He said, if you love me, keep my words. That's edification. And then, so this idea of the work of the Lord, we get that from these statements, I have, I have. You see it in verse 6, I have manifested thy name. Verse 8, I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And then, look at what it says in verse 18, as thou hast sent them, has sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. That's equipping. He is sending them to do the work of the Lord. His men were ready. And then he prays for us. Look at, for, look at verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. How many of you believed on Jesus Christ through the apostles' word? Any of you? I hope all of you, because if you're believing in anything else, you ain't saved. All right, so it's really important that we get this. The work of the Lord is the work that the Lord was doing when he was here on earth working. That is what we are supposed to do. I have manifested thy name. I have given unto them the words. I have sent them into the world. That is the work of the Lord. Are you doing the work of the Lord? Do your job. That's what God wants us to do. Can I ask you this? They didn't finish the temple. Right? Go back to Haggai. That's right before Zechariah.
verse 4. Haggai chapter 1, verse 4. Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? What was wrong? They hadn't finished the house of God. They were, they were building their own houses. Their own houses were finished, but they needed to finish the work that God had called them to do, which is finish the house of God. Is, am I making it up or is that right? All right, 1 Timothy. Chapter 3, verse 14. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Now the spirit speaketh expressly, then in the latter time, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them, which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather to unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Therefore... For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Folks, our job is to preach the gospel and to do the work of the Lord, to see the house of God built up. Do your job. Revelation chapter 2. Verse 1, unto the angel of the church at Ephesus, write. Then he says in verse 2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. Verse 4, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. They left their love for the word of God, the words of God. They moved away from that and it brought error into it. See, we need to have a love for the work of God, but we need to do the work of God God's way. Remember, we saw that in Ezra chapter 4. They said, we're not going to allow you to, to corrupt and to compromise who we are. We're not going to let that happen. And they took that stand well, but then they fell apart when the opposition came. When you look at chapter 2 and look at verse 8, And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. And I know the blasphemy, it says, but thou art rich. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do you know what's wonderful about that? They did everything they were supposed to do in a time of terrible trouble. Jesus has nothing bad to say about this church. 
nothing. Why? Because they kept building in the face of horrible persecution. They kept doing it. He that hath an ear, verse 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write. And he goes on and he says, I know thy works, verse 13. And where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. Do you know what God expected them to do in the seat of Satan? Build the church. Do the work. Trust me. That's what God expected them to do. Some of them did. Some of them didn't. Those that didn't, look at what it says, verse 14. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. What he did is he taught the people that they didn't have to stay pure, and they could eat whatever they wanted in false worship. So do you know what happens in the church at Pergamos? Man, life is so hard, they have to get together with everybody who kind of believes. And they intermingle, and the church is corrupted. We could go through the rest of those seven churches. All of them had trouble. Do you know what God expected all of them to do? Keep building. Keep working. Keep praying. Keep trusting. Believe what I have to say. That's what He expected of them. Do you know what He expects us to do in this present evil day? And having done all, stand. That's what he expects. He expects us to be steadfast. That means we are steadfast. We are tied fast to the work that God wants us to do. We are unmovable. Not going to happen. You're not moving me off this. I have work to do for God. I'm not blown about with every wind of doctrine. I'm mature in the Lord. I'm mature in the faith. I know what I believe. I know why I believe it. And then always abounding in the work of the Lord. Can I ask you a question? Are you abounding in the work of the Lord? Are you abounding in teaching someone else the word of God? Are you abounding in leading people to Jesus Christ? Are you abounding in helping them to carry on doing the work of the Lord? If you're not, then do your job. Amen? Do your job. If we would do simply what God wants us to do, He will bless us. He will bless us. Amen? Let's do our jobs. This is a message of love to Israel. Do you know that God loves you? He loved the church and He gave Himself for it. It's a message of anger. It's a message of anger. Man, I'm so glad... That God's anger, listen, I'm so thankful that God's anger has been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Ah, but who He loves, He chastens. So now what God does is God doesn't chasten us in anger. He chastens us in love. But the Bible says, no chastening for the moment seems joyous. But what's the word? Grievous. Has nothing to do with Star Wars. But grievous. Man, I don't want the chastening of God in my life. How many of you would agree with me? You don't want the chastening of God in your life. Then do your job! Amen? That's what we're supposed to do. Zechariah, it's, it's a message of love. It's a message of anger. 
And it's a message of repentance. Revelation chapter 3, so interesting. Unto the church, verse 14, and unto the church of the Laodiceans. All right, verse 15, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Isn't that interesting? There's not anger, it's disgust. Right? He's not angry. So look at what it says. This is so interesting. Verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be, what's that next word? Zealous, therefore. And say it out loud. Isn't it interesting how similar the message of Zechariah is to God's message to the church? It's so interesting. Finish the work that God's given you to do. Finish your work. Look, some of you have started discipleship and you're flaking out. You're flaking out. I mean, you're just... (laughs) Man, stop being a crybaby. And do your job. We don't need you to just sit in a chair. Stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There's your Savior. His nails. You can see the nail prints in His hands. You'll see all of His scars. When when He's revealed there in Revelation chapter 5, He looks like a lamb that's been slain. Right? What did you do for me? It's hard. My job's hard. I'm busy. You're going to get a well done, thou good and faithful servant out of that? Buck up. Do hard things. And I got to say, discipleship is really not very hard. It's just not hard. If you can't do that, I got to wonder are you saved? Are you born again? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone? Do you have the Holy Spirit of God in you? If you do, and you can't do a little page a day for five days a week and, and actually make it to an appointment, if you can't do that, my goodness. You, you might be sitting out there thinking, that's hard. It's just, I'm humiliated. Man, I don't even know who you are, so praise God. <laughs> I don't know, so I'm free to say it. Don't be a crybaby. Finish your work. Finish your job. Man, if you're a parent and your kids know you started discipleship, but you're too much of a crybaby to finish it, how are you ever going to correct your kids? You can't even finish a stupid little workbook. Now, kids, don't talk to your parents that way. (laughs) How many of you understand exactly what I'm saying? Three. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. I see those hands. Jim McDermott, after I said that. (laughs) Listen, folks, finish your job. Do it. Learn the material. Get right with God. 
get a little grit in your craw, get a little, a little steel in your backbone, and say, I'm going to stand for God and do what God wants me to do because time is short, eternity is long, hell is hot, this is real. Man, I need to be a, I need to be a tool that's fit for the Master's use. Man, I can give up a few things for the Lord because of what He did for me. Do you know what all He says to you is? Do your job. Do your job. Some of you need to sign up for discipleship. You need to say, you know what? I like where Grace Baptist Church is going. I'm going to go with them. Amen? And some of you have started and you haven't finished. Do you know what you need to do? You need to repent. And you need to say, you know what? Call up your discipler. And here's what you ought to say to him. Man, I'm a loser. I've given up discipleship for nothing. Amen? You don't have to say you're a loser. You don't have to do that. All you have to do is say, you know what? I want to finish. I want to finish. Do you know what that will cause God to do? Smile. How do you want to please the Lord? Seriously. You want to please the Lord. How many of you think finishing what you start for the Lord is a good way to please Him? Man, I'm so thankful that none of that has anything to do with my salvation. I'm so thankful for that. We're not legalists. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. Well, a little bit for not finishing. A little bit for not finishing discipleship. Man, just finish. You're going to be seeing 1 Corinthians 15, 58 a lot. Can we go back there and just read it out loud together and we'll be done? And maybe read it as a prayer. 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's do our jobs. Amen? Let's do the work of the Lord. Let's all stand together.